0: All right. If you would take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter eleven. Acts chapter eleven. We're going to continue our our practice of studying through the book of Acts, a chapter at a time, and, and hopefully you've been following along in those cards that are leading us through kind of a reading plan as we go through the book of Acts together. If you have one of those cards this morning, it's going to be especially if because you can tell it's just a little bit warm in here, and so that card is a self-made fan if you need to utilize that. Or if you have a bulletin, this morning is a very good morning to have a bulletin because you can definitely use your bulletin as a uh, as a fan. We had a little bit of air conditioning trouble that started yesterday, but we've got it halfway fixed this morning, and hopefully we'll have the rest of it taken care of very, very soon. So we'll make sure that we continue... You know, no jokes about hot air or anything like that, and so uh, we'll we'll hold back any jokes about that. But but we are excited about being able to study God's word together this morning. So once again, we're going to in Acts chapter eleven, the beginning of Acts eleven, he tells the story of Peter and Cornelius that we looked at last week. Luke loves to retell stories that are important in his book. It's telling this, and so. He'll tell Paul's conversion multiple times. He tells the Peter and Cornelius' story multiple times. But we're not going to read the first half of Acts 11. We're going to start in verse 19 with the church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together around Your glory, around Your Word, focused on the life that is available through Your Son, Jesus. God, we thank You for the work of the Holy Spirit as we see that happening in the book of Acts. God, help us to understand, uh, to to try to grasp the importance of the church at Antioch and the the role that it can play in, in our church and in our lives in 2014. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, growing up, I I have two younger brothers and for us most of our lives revolved around sports. That was pretty much our priority, sports and sports and then and then more more sports. We lived close to the school and so we had access to a football field, a baseball field, a basketball gym. We had all of these things just literally right in our backyard. And so that was our lives growing up, which on the opposite side, means that we're, we weren't particularly good at music and art. Uh, I took piano because my mom played piano in the church, and so she wanted me to learn some music, and I'm really thankful for that experience. Uh, my piano teacher would always say something like, Owen, you got know the notes right, but the rhythm was just a little bit off. And I want to say, look at do you see any rhythm? Is there any rhythm at all right here? No, there's no rhythm. There's, it just doesn't exist. I got all of the notes correct, but there was no rhythm. There was no art to it. And, and so in art class, you know, the teacher would have to come up with very kind, backhanded compliments about my, my attempt at, at artwork. And so I've always kind of stayed away from music and art. But, but one of the things that has always impressed me about artists is when they get in front of a canvas and they're, they're looking at the canvas, and you can tell that something is going on in their mind. Like there is something taking shape on that canvas that's just about to explode. Me, I see nothing. I just see white, you know, and I know it's not going to turn out good. But they, they see this incredible picture, and so they shape it, and then they start to go. And I love it where you can't see as the viewer what's actually unfolding, but they're painting, they're making lines, they're making squares and circles and shapes and all kinds of things. And then at the end, this incredible piece of artwork appears. Uh, My wife has has this ability, she's very good at art, but she also has this ability in in the kitchen when it comes to cooking. I walk into the kitchen and I see what we have available and I just kind of start to cry because it just doesn't look like a whole bunch. Amanda walks into the kitchen and she sees the ingredients and she's like, oh, you know, we can combine this with this and this, with this, and I've never tried this before, but hey, let's combine this ingredient, and then it comes out, and it's awesome. It's incredible, the the things that she can create from something that looks like not very much to me. There's a canvas out there, and there's a picture created, and I'm so envious of the people who can see a blank space, who can see a couple of ingredients, and then can paint this incredible picture. That's kind of what Luke is doing here the church of Antioch. Luke is telling us throughout the book of Acts, this is what it looks like for God's spirit to move. This is what it looks like for the church to develop. If you want to see a picture, if you want to see a painting of the New Testament church, I'm going to give it to you. And so he gives us paintings like Antioch. He gives us pictures of this is what the church can look like. And then we take our lives and we measure it up and say, what does our church look like? What, what do our lives look like? Is God's spirit moving among us? Now there's a danger here. And we need to be careful about this from the beginning. When we look at Antioch and we look at all these other churches that come up in the book of Acts, there's a danger that we would think that our church needs to look exactly like Antioch. Our goal is not that our church would look exactly like Antioch. Our goal is that what we see happening at Antioch as God's Spirit moves would be similar, would be the same type of thing as God's Spirit moves here. It's this danger we face when we want our church to look like somebody else's church. Have you ever moved to a newer area, and you're looking for a church to be a part of, and you're always looking for a church that's kind of like the one you came from, like, why can't I find another church like that? Assuming you had a good experience from where you were coming from. Or you look at another church in another area and you say, why does our church not look like that church? Why are we not doing what what they're doing? And so I get emails all the time and text messages and phone calls. And, oh, and why don't we do this program? They're doing that program over here. Why don't we do this? They're doing that over here. Why do we not... And we run into this danger of we start comparing and saying, why does our church not look like their church? And so we we don't want to do that with Antioch. But what we do want to ask is, what does it look like when God's spirit moves in the church and begins to shape that church to be his church, right where he's placed them? What does it mean to be First Baptist Church right here in this area? And one of the things that we say, and this is on your bulletin. It's printed in very large letters on the front of your bulletin that we exist to proclaim and display jesus those are the characteristics of a new testament church we speak about jesus we display jesus with our lives and then we have three words to describe how we do that we do that supremely jesus is more important than anything else we do that fully jesus impacts every area of our life not just sunday morning and we do that widely if jesus is really important Then he's important to all people and all places. On the back of your notes, where the sermon notes normally go, on the back of your bulletin, I've given you a graph, a a chart, kind of a picture of what it can look like for a New Testament church to develop. And and in this graph, you'll see where those words supremely, fully, widely are in the column on the left side in this chart, and then proclaim and display are kind of the, the header columns there. If you say supremely, fully, widely doesn't really mean anything to me, when we talk to our kids, we talk about God, growth, and go. We want to be a church that's based on who God is. We want to be a church where people are always growing in their faith and where we're always growing, and we want to be a church that goes. The gospel is always going to new places, new people, and we want to do those things. So God, growth, growth go those are the things that characterize a new testament church and we want those things to characterize our church now the point this morning is to see where that comes from that we're not just making that up as a good idea but we see it playing out in scripture and one of the clearest places we see it playing out in scripture is the church at antioch so go back to verse 19 let's go back to our bibles and really focus in on what luke is saying to us in in these passages so back in verse nineteen. It says those who had been scattered by persecution in connection with Stephen. Now this goes back to Acts chapter 7 and 8 where there's this martyrdom that happens to Stephen and there's a persecution that breaks out against the church. And many of them, other than the disciples, are scattered to new areas. And it says they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Now, two important things. The first is Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. One of the things that distinguishes those places is that they're places to the north and the west of where Jerusalem was located. What Luke is telling us is that the gospel is beginning to spread north and west. It's beginning to move outside of Jerusalem, just like he told us would happen in Acts 1.8, that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So that's starting to happen here. But it says initially that it goes only to Jews. Because initially, the spread of the church, the spread of the gospel, is a Jewish messianic movement. But then in verse 20, it says, "...some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus." Antioch was a place of great learning, it was a place of great civilization, it was on the same level as Rome and Alexandria and other major cities of the ancient world. This was a prominent place that was a very cosmopolitan city, and there were a lot of Jews and also a lot of non-Jews, a lot of Gentiles there. And so Luke is telling us again that the gospel is always going to spread to new people and new places. And then look what happens in verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand... Was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So, in other words, a great number of people came to a point where they began to worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. They counted Jesus as supreme above all else. He was the Messiah, He was the Savior, He was going to be their Lord, and so they turned to Him. And that is the foundation of a church. We can't skip over this too quickly. The foundation of a church is never as a social club, it's never as a family gathering, it's never as a spiritual checkbox. The foundation of a church is always that Jesus Christ has transformed our lives and that we have turned fully to him. In churches like ours that, that are Protestant churches, one of the things that we talk about, and this I know it sounds like a big theological term, but it's worth writing down, is that we consider ourselves a regenerate church and, and all Protestant churches would say this a regenerate church is simply that term for saying that the members of a church are those who have been made new because of Jesus they have been regenerated they have been given new life just like Jonah and Jake displayed for us this morning the reason they become a part of a church is because God has made their lives new not through baptism but through the forgiveness of sins as they trust in Jesus and they show that through baptism. But when you're made new, you become a part of the church. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it means that you're not born into the church, you don't buy your way into the church, you don't work your way into the church. It is God's work and God's work alone that establishes the church. And we always have to lay that as our foundation because there are some churches that they into it you can buy your way in with a certain amount of money or if you just do the right things then you're okay with God and we would say that it's only by turning to Jesus it's only his work in our life that makes us a church and here's the other thing we see at Antioch the way that they grow as a church is people are turning to Jesus and that's a basic statement which means that the way that they grow at church is they don't go out looking for other Christians to add to their church. Sometimes, and we have to be so careful with this, okay? We're going we're gonna to take a second to walk through, through we, uh, we, we approach it correctly. Sometimes, the way churches grow numerically is they siphon off believers from other churches to come and be a part of their church. And then people say, wow, look at that church, aren't they growing? W- well, yes. They're growing in numbers, but they really haven't shattered darkness. They really haven't gone out and proclaimed the gospel where people are turning to Jesus and being added to the church. They're just borrowing people from other churches so that their numbers grow. Now, there is a place and a time when added to a church. When you move to a new area, maybe when a church is no longer proclaiming the gospel or it's just not a healthy place for your family to be, Maybe when the Lord just does something, say we really do need to move. We really do need to go somewhere new. Time that you would move from one church to another. But what we want our church to be built on, the way we want our church to grow, is because people are turning to Jesus. Let's pray that First Baptist will grow, not because we're borrowing and pulling other members in from other churches, but because people are being saved. Because they're turning to Christ and finding hope. And so when people proclaim Jesus as Lord, that's where grief comes from. On that chart on the back of your bulletin, you can see that that first question, and all of these questions are are to engage our hearts and what God is doing in the church. So the first question we have to ask is, have I turned to Jesus for salvation by God's grace? And then to the right of that in the display column is, Have I been baptized to display Jesus as Lord and Savior? So those are the foundations of our churches. Are people turning to Christ, and are they being baptized as his followers? And if they are, are they continuing to worship him as Lord and Savior? Is worshiping God throughout your week and worshiping God on Sunday morning, is it a priority in your life? And then to the right, am I displaying him by joining with the church for ministry and and for communion? Are you joining with the church and saying, I'm going to be a member of a church someplace because I need to serve. I need to be gathering with God's people to, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to, to minister in Jesus' name. And so this is what it means to count Jesus as supreme. But notice what happens in verse 22. This is, this is very important and we miss this so easily in, in modern day Christianity. Verse 22, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas is going to go up and check out this situation, see what's going on. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged, or some translations say exhorted them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And so not only does Barnabas do that, but verse 25 It says that Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first to Antioch. Here's the point I want to see from from Antioch here. Is that when these people turn to Christ for salvation, the disciples, Barnabas and, and, and Saul, don't just abandon them, they begin to teach them. This is who Jesus is. This is why he matters. This is how it impacts your life. And as a church, we're going to proclaim Jesus supremely, but we're also going to do that fully. Meaning we're going to teach people, this is what the Bible says. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is why Jesus matters. We call this discipleship. We call this growth. For guys like Jonah and Jake, who were baptized this morning to follow, follow jesus it's so easy so tempting sometimes to say well good i'm glad they got to that point point," and then we just kind of let them flounder no the real battle begins now for those guys are we going to teach them this is what it looks like to follow jesus are we going to continue to teach them about the bible are we going to continue to teach them this is what it looks like for god to transform your life think about how the world is littered with people who who raised their hand in a revival or or made some sort of comment at a youth camp and they got their name checked off and then they're floating out there far from Jesus because they tried to turn to Jesus or or they made some sort of religious response and then no one was there to say this is the next step. This is what it looks like to grow in your faith. I have a question for us, and this may be just a little bit painful to raise your hand, but I think a lot of hands are going to go up, so we're going to take a chance. And if one hand goes up, I'll apologize to you after the service, okay? How many of you were baptized multiple times in your life? Like you were baptized once, and then you were baptized another time in your life. How many people baptized multiple times? All right, we're we're reaching into the 30s uh, right there. Sometimes that happens because you might have been baptized in a particular church as a child, as, a, as an infant, depending upon what your religious background was like. And then as you got older in life, you realized that baptism was something that we can do to display God's work in our life through Jesus until you were baptized as an adult. Some of you, your story may be that you were baptized at six or seven or eight, and then when you got up into your teenage years or your twenties, you realized really don't know what I did as a kid. I, I really don't know what that experience was, was all about, and so I feel like I begin doubting my salvation and I need to or want to be baptized again. Now there are so many complex situations that fit into that, but the point I want to make is oftentimes, and, and I really feel strongly about this, oftentimes the reason people feel like they need to be baptized again is because no one was discipling them along the way. No one was coming into their lives and saying, this is what God has done in your life. This is who Jesus is. This is what it means to follow him. And no one was taking those steps with that person. No one was taking that steps with you. And so what we want to say is that when people turn to Jesus, we're going to teach them about who he is. We're going to teach them about what it is to follow him. Look down in verse 26. It says, They met with the church. Uh, For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. This wasn't one thing they just did for a day and then went on. And they taught great numbers of people. And then it says the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Interesting thing about the New Testament is that the term Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. You think about that idea. That we call ourselves Christians, but the term Christian was only used three times in the New Testament And it was always used by other groups speaking about followers of Jesus. And so what's going on in Antioch is these followers of Jesus can no longer be known just as Jews. Because they're not Jews in the traditional sense. They're following Jesus as the Messiah. But they're also not going to be known as Gentiles because they turn to Christ for salvation. And so they're making up a new group and they're called Christians followers of jesus and one of the reasons they can be called christians is because people looked at their lives and said something is different about them and one of the things we want to do is as we follow jesus fully someone looks at our life and says they approach work differently than i do they approach school differently than i do they approach sports differently than i do what is that all about and we say that Jesus impacts every area of our life. So on that handy-dandy chart on the back of your, uh, of your bulletin, first question, am I learning from the Bible who Jesus is and why he matters? Are you in a situation every week where you are learning from the Bible about Jesus? Are you a part of a Sunday school class? Are you a part of a small group Bible study at work? Are you somewhere where you are learning about Jesus. Parents, for your kids who are turning to Jesus, there is nothing more important that they find themselves in a situation, first at your home, to learn about the Bible and about Jesus, but also with other kids, with other believers where they're learning. So am I learning? To the right of that. If I'm learning about Jesus, am I living faithfully in a holy way? It's no good just to learn about the Bible and it not impact our lives. Am I really living in a different way? Then, left column, proclaim, am I teaching others about the Bible and about Jesus? If you're learning about Jesus, you're ready to teach someone else about Jesus. If you're learning it, it's always to teach it to someone else. And then to the right, am I modeling for others how Jesus affects all of life? So what it says is, and we're just using those examples because the way God's worked in their life today But if Jonah and Jake want to know, how do I go to school as a Christian, they should be able to look at these guys over here in junior high, middle school, high school, and say, what does it look like for a Christian to go to school? If you are young in your faith and don't know much about Jesus and you want to know how Jesus impacts your workplace, there should be another Christian in here that you can walk up to and say, how do you live as a Christian at your workplace? How do you serve as a boss? How do you serve as a CEO? How do you serve as a medical practitioner? How do you do that as a Christian? There is nothing more important that you can do is to walk up to someone else and say, can you tell me how to go to work and be a Christian there? We need people who are modeling that for us. And then it says down in verse 27. So it's supremely Jesus above all else, fully, he impacts every area of our life. And then look in verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Uh, We're kind of in the middle of the 40s A.D., 46, 47 A.D., something like that, uh, for people who are interested in the history here. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Claudius was one of the Roman emperors. And then it says in verse 29, the disciples... Each, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So these new believers at Antioch saw how Jesus was impacting their life. They saw people in another area who were in need. And they said, even if those people are far from us, we still need to do something to serve them we still need to display for them the hope of the gospel. And so that takes us that we, we, we worship God, we grow in our faith, and then the impact of our faith has to send us out. It has to say we are going to go widely to make an impact for the gospel. So, last time, go back to your chart. Here's the first question. Am I telling others about the hope found in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Am I doing that here? Am I doing that in places around me? And am I doing that far away? What are we as a church doing to proclaim Jesus to people as Lord and Savior? And then to the right of that, am I showing others the love of Jesus by sacrificially giving to meet physical needs? And, and, And am I doing that here, near, and far away, just like the believers at Antioch were doing Imagine a church where people gather, not because of social influence, not because of family background, not because of any other reason that they want to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they want to do that so that people far from Christ would come to know Him and to worship Him. And they see baptisms happen, and they see people joining because they want to celebrate God. And then imagine if that church is not just committed to what happens then on Sunday morning, but they say Jesus impacts all of our life, and so they are constantly raising up people in God's word. And they're saying this is what it looks like, for God's word, to impact your life. And then imagine if they begin to take that seriously, and God so transforms their life that they say this message is so important that it can't stay here. And so they begin to go to other places. They begin to go across their street, and they begin to go across town, and they begin to go across the world because this message is so important. It's literally life or death. And so they will do everything to spread that. And they won't just speak about it with their mouth, but they'll do things about it. They'll serve others in Jesus' name. Do you think that's an incredible picture of the church? An incredible picture of the gospel? And I hope that the feeling in your heart is, God, what does it look like for that to happen here? What does it look like for God's Spirit to move among His people in such a way that we begin to see this picture come alive in our lives right now? I pray you'll take this chart, look at these questions, look at your own life, say, where am I on this process? Where am I on this chart? Where is our church? What steps do we need to need to take? If God isn't working in your life this morning, and you just need someone to pray for you, I'll be available to pray for you up here at right while we're we're seeing together. If you want to join with this church, if you say, I need to be a member of a church that is attempting to do those things. We're not perfect, we're not there yet, but we're asking God to lead us in that direction. If you feel called to join, we want to give you the chance to, to respond in obedience to God's work in your life in that way. However God is working in your life, let's respond through this time. I'm going to pray for us and then we're just going to sing together.